This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Good afternoon to you. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas, representing Transitions Life Care. Mary, on the mend, playing a little bit hurt today. You're like a, a Carolina hurricane out there. How are you doing? <laughs> oh, no, don't jinx us. I'm good. It's allergies, or is it COVID, or is it a science infection? It's that game that we all play now, but it's not COVID, or else I wouldn't be here. <laughs> yes, you, uh, you've you done your due diligence in that regard, but it is never fun, especially like that when you feel the onset of something. Yes. You're like, oh, my gosh. Yes. And, Oh, that's that's never a good feeling. No, and they, these colds or whatever they call them now, are, you know, whatever this is, it, they last forever. This has been like a week and a half that I'm slowly getting my voice back. So um, I'm ready for it to be over. <laughs> well, hopefully by next weekend, you're you're back to 100%. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we, we appreciate you coming in here today because you do so much of the heavy lifting. We've got a great show lined up today. We're going to be speaking with our friends that we've had on previously uh, over at Karyaya, and they are, of course, we've got a, a little partnership between Karyaya and Transitions Life Care, and we're going to have a discussion related to virtual reality and dementia patients. And we're very pleased to welcome onto the show Leah Warnke. Leah is the Director of Health Equity at Karyaya. Leah, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to speak with you all. Yes, we've had Carrie Yaya on in the past. It was a great conversation all about what you all do. But for those who missed the show, Leah, can you talk to us a little bit about what is Carrie Yaya and exactly what is your role within that organization? Yeah, absolutely. So Carrie Yaya is an online registry where families can go on and request care for someone who is elderly, seriously ill, or who has a disability. And then on the caregiving side of things, all of the caregivers are college students who are pre-health in some capacity, and they all have a desire to provide care and a need to gain this caregiving experience so they can apply to medical school, PA school, nursing school, PTOT, the works. And that's actually how I got started with Yaya. My, my junior year at Chapel Hill, I was looking to get experience hours for PA school. Um, and I found Karyaya and really loved caregiving through it. So that's in general what we do. And what I do now, um, now that I'm full time, mm-hmm. is help develop the partnerships as we, you know, we started in the Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill area, but we're rapidly expanding across the state and throughout the Southeast. So I help to develop these partnerships with healthcare systems, with academics in the field of aging and geriatric care, with community organizations who are built to support those who are aging or those who are living with a disability. And I just help cultivate these relationships to build the most positive experience we can have for both the person receiving the care and the person providing it. That's awesome. Before we dive into more about what you all are doing in the virtual virtual reality space, I have to ask, like, what what has your experience been as a caregiver for Carrie Yaya? What have you learned and what, you know, what have you had any special tidbits from some of the people that you've been working with out uh, and helping to care for? How, how has the experience been as a caregiver? Yeah, uh, I have loved my time as a caregiver. Uh, I got to meet 
some really incredible people. And, and the way we're set up is you can, um, as a student, you can make your own schedule and so you can care for a number of different people. And you can also set up kind of a routine where you go and see the same people week to week. And that's largely what I did. And so I got to get to know the people I was caring for pretty well. And um, just funny story, yeah. I I was caregiving for this, this man that I had um, provided care for for weeks on end over the summer. And it was the day after my 21st birthday and I came in early that morning to care for him and we were just talking and reminiscing and he told me all about his 21st birthday back in the day. Um, so he was very excited to hear about my celebrations and we got to talk about that. And I was also, at the time I was training for a marathon and he told me about when he ran the New York marathon back in 88. And you just get to build these cool relationships with people and then help them maintain their independence as much as possible and help them continue to live a life that they find meaningful and valuable. And so I really loved it. Um, that so is I'm awesome. continuing with the platform now. Yeah. That is really cool. Well, let's dive into a little bit of, of what you're here to talk about too. It's I've seen it a little bit in the news lately and I'm really excited to see that you guys are working on this. I think it's a, a really interesting uh, development. So talk to us a little bit about what is virtual reality. Yeah, virtual reality, um, or um, VR for short, is a computer-simulated version of a real place. So it's, it's these 3D graphically rendered environments that enable users to feel fully immersed in this new space. So you put on these super comfy goggles, and then you are, you can't see it now, but I'm doing air quotes, taken <laughs> to a new place. Um, so it's different than watching a movie or even watching like a 3d film because with vr you get the sensation that you are actually present so it's a very sensational immersive experience where you can you know you can visit places that you've seen before or you can travel to new places that you've never been or you can travel to places that no one has been so we we took a group of people to mars last week um wow. so you just get to experience all of these different realities um and yeah it's a really really newfound technology that's being used in a lot of spheres. Um, my mom's an elementary school teacher, and she's been using this with her students for years. So we thought, why not use this in the space of elder care? Definitely. Um, yeah, that's in general what VR is. What are some of the, you, you mentioned Mars, what are some of the other places that you guys have utilized this or, or places that you have taken um, the, the, the um, people that you have, you know, put on the headsets and where have they gone? Yeah. Um, so we really try to design the experience uh, to cater to the individual who um, is using it. And so we, we ask questions about their past, good memories, things like that. And I can get more into this later, but some of the mm-hmm. coolest places that I think we've been, um, Eiffel Tower is really popular. Oh. Um, so you can, you can go walk like all underneath and then you can go up on each level and you can look out across Paris. That's really cool. Um, some people really enjoy going on like an African safari. And so, you know, you'll see the elephants and the lions. Um, and then some people kind of don't want the super exciting, a lot of stimulation going on. And so they just want to go sit on a sandy beach on the coast because, you know, they haven't been to the beach for a while. And so it's just a really peaceful experience mm-hmm. of getting to sit there and feel, hear the sounds of the water, see the waves rushing. Um, 
So yeah, just lots of, really the possibilities are endless for where you can take VR. That's cool. Uh, I think Jason and I would like to be on the beach right now. So if you could go ahead and bring those headsets up in here, that'd be great. Yeah, we should have had Leah in the studio for this. That, that sounds that like would a, be cool. a good idea. That would have been a lot of fun. We could have done it while you're talking. That would have been really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> it may be very distracting. Um, so why did you guys start to decide, or why did you decide at Karyaya to start utilizing uh, VR or virtual reality? therapy? Yeah, we, well, in general, we have seen the need for innovation and novel solutions in the fields of caregiving. Um, And, you know, that's why we started the platform to begin with. And we're constantly looking for new ways to improve the caregiving experience. And um, sadly, dementia ranks among the world's most serious long-term health problems uh, with, uh, in 2030, we're projected to have 82 million people in the world living with dementia and 152 million by 2050. So dementia, Alzheimer's and related neurodegenerative disorders are increasing in prevalence. And the speed at which we're developing therapies and treatments is not increasing at the same rate. So we are looking for novel solutions to help slow the progression of diseases like this and to um, just improve lives in general. So all about all Karyaya focuses on is helping people maintain their independence, autonomy, their dignity, and their purpose, and giving people control over creating new experiences, creating new memories, or living through old ones um, can tie in really well with VR. So that's, yeah, we were motivated to bring this new technology that's being used all across society. You know, Mm -hmm. children are using it. We're Mm -hmm. using it for workplace training. We thought, why not bring this to older generations? Mm-hmm. Um, so no one else was doing it. And, you know, we're, we're a small team. There are five of us working full time behind the scenes. But we figured we have a very highly educated, motivated um, and passionate network of caregivers. You know, they're all college students who want to go into the health profession. So they're constantly asking us for ways that they can do more for the people they're caring for. And so we figured, why not give them these Definitely. solutions to, to help, you know, it's more fun for the caregiver because you're engaging people going to cool places and it's more fun for the care recipient. So that's in general why we started. And um, we have learned countless benefits Mm -hmm. throughout our time um, practicing this VR. So started because we just wanted to improve the experience and we've learned that there are so many benefits that we didn't initially know of. That's That's great. And, you know, Having that objective and meeting it and surpassing it is a really cool experience. We're speaking with Leah Warnke. She is the Director of Health Equity at Care Yaya, and we're talking all about virtual reality with dementia patients, and we're going to continue that discussion right after this. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF with your hosts, Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. I'm Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas on the line. We are speaking with Leah Warnke, who is Director of Health Equity at Care Yaya. And 
Mary, we're having a really cool discussion about virtual reality, VR, and how that can be used with caregiving, something that it, it seems to make perfect sense. And I feel like we should be kicking ourselves for, mm-hmm. you know, not doing something like this sooner. Definitely. I'm, I'm, Leah, I'm interested into hearing a little bit more about some of the benefits, but also if there's any risk. You know, I've, I've, I've played with a vir- virtual reality set once and I put it on and I see people on TikTok making these funny virtual reality videos where they have a little headset on and, and you know, you walk your plank, walk the plank on the pirate ship. And I don't know if you guys have seen this video and he like, acts, he like is like really concerned about taking another step and he like jumps off and like runs into the wall or falls on the floor or something silly like that. Um, so I wanted to know also if there's any risk. Um, so talk to us a little bit about the benefits and the risk of virtual reality and, and what you all are doing with Gary Yaya. Yeah, thank you so much for the question. Happy to talk about both. Um, I'll start with the benefits. Uh, so for decades, reminiscence therapy has been a tried and true uh, treatment or therapy for people with dementia. So basically recalling past experiences, going into detail about what you remember from that, what emotions you felt during that time. Um, and with VR, you can combine this reminiscence therapy uh, with the virtual reality to really stimulate cognitive function in seniors. So anecdotally, what we're seeing is one, just joy um, and reliving past memories. And we, we spoke previously about um, taking people to the Eiffel Tower. I've, I've done this with a man who uh, went with his wife to the Eiffel Tower almost 40 years ago. And, you know, she's since passed, but he really enjoyed going back and kind of reliving that memory of, of being there. And so we see the joy in reliving past memories. We see excitement and stimulation and new experiences. So people, um, you know, going to explore outer space or getting nose to nose with an elephant. And then we also see a sense of peace. So I've worked with someone who grew up in Indiana um, and grew up amongst cornfields and so hadn't been back there for almost two decades and so just going and sitting in a cornfield and just seeing the wind brushing through the leaves was just a really really peaceful moment for him Mm -hmm. and so anecdotally we're seeing all of these great experiences but then also scientifically we have learned so much about the actual cognitive benefits of stimulating these memories and stimulating these experiences through Mm -hmm. virtual reality so um we started because it just seemed like a really cool thing to do. And as we've done more and more research, uh, we've found these studies like from Baycrest Health associated with the University of Toronto um, that measured outcomes of people using VR with dementia. Um, and they found that it was not just making people happy and less lonely, it was actually improving their brain health. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, was going to show the uh, flow of the progression of dementia. And then, you know, um, UMIN in Japan actually measured a subset of people with dementia undergoing reminiscence therapy using uh, 2D objects, so like photographs or um, uh, like scrapbooks or things like that. And then another subset of people actually using VR headsets and they, they measured um MMSE scales as well as revised PGC morale scales and the VR group you know showed considerable improvement over baseline scores both in the PGC scale and the MMSE and so there's all this data out there that's saying that this is good for the elderly this is good for people in all stages of dementia you know early mid weight and it's also good for 
people who are elderly and, you know, are not showing signs of dementia yet, but would just benefit from some additional cognitive stimulation. So we see that. And then we've even transitioned from seeing uh, improvements and benefit to populations with dementia to other populations. We've seen reductions of perceived pain. So wow. mm-hmm. I believe it was the American Heart Association did a study with pediatric patients undergoing chemotherapy and they measured um, perceived pain and perceived fatigue mm-hmm. during and after treatment using VR therapy and not using VR therapy. And the outcomes are really incredible. Um, just having this sort of like immersive distraction improves the experience tremendously for these kids. And this a similar phenomenon was seen with people at end of life care. Um, so the benefits are countless and we're constantly discovering more and all of this scientific research is pointing to this being a really cool um really innovative solution and so we're, we're trying to be on the forefront of that because it's not really happening elsewhere um so yeah those are some of the benefits and i guess risks the risks are relatively minimal um i've seen the tiktok videos you mentioned and those are i i hate to say i laugh at those yes. um, but that is never <laughs> That is never our goal when we do VR therapy. I like to think of it, so I get pretty motion sick in the car, and I think that's what a lot of people are worried about Mm -hmm. being in an immersive space like that. Um, But the way I think about it is I'm motion sick when I'm a passenger. I'm I'm rarely motion sick when I'm the driver of the Mm -hmm, car. And mm -hmm. when you're in virtual reality, you're you're very much the driver. So you you control where you go. You You can choose to stay stationary, and there are different levels of VR. There's called non immersive, and then versus immersive non-immersive is still pretty immersive you feel like you're there but you're not spinning around you're not moving you're you're kind of stagnant but you're still immersed in a 3d space you can look around you can you can um see people moving around you but it's not you're not moving yourself and then you can graduate to a more immersive experience so there are levels um and when we do vr therapy with people we of course guide you every step of the way Mm -hmm. Um, and so we always start with sitting down and with the more non-immersive experience just to get warmed up and then if people want to graduate to a a more movement based uh uh, faster paced vr then you're definitely able to but in general the risks are really minimal um and of course you're you're able to stop whenever you want you know you're in full control you can take off the headset whenever you like um but yeah so far we've seen tremendous benefits that's awesome. So what does a typical virtual reality therapy session with Karyaya look like? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, our, our caregivers come. So you're getting an energetic and thoughtful student who starts by just having a conversation with you. They'll, they'll ask you about your life experiences, good memories, kind of dream destinations that you want to go. And then they'll help cultivate and design an experience for you. Um, so they will help find a place to go. And then they'll explain what exactly it's going to feel like when you're in there. And they'll explain that you're in control the entire time. You can take it off whenever you want. And then they'll help you either hold the headset up to your eyes or help you put the headset on if you want it secured to your head. Um, And then as you're going through the experience, they verbally guide you with questions and prompts specifically tailored to help you achieve your goals, whether that be slowing progression of dementia or improving stimulation or decreasing perceived pain. We have questions that's specifically designed for all of these scenarios to help achieve these goals. So they're guiding you as you go through. Um, And I mentioned usually we start with a non-immersive experience. Mm -hmm. So you could, you're, you're there, you're in the 3D space, but 
nothing's moving around you. You don't have to move and you just get a feel for it. Um, and then if you re- want, if you request, um, you can graduate up to uh, a faster paced experience and the student, of course, stays right beside you to ensure your safety the whole time. And then after the experience, they'll, they'll talk with your loved one about what they saw, really engaging those recollection and storytelling skills to kind of recap the experience and make sure we're getting the full benefit out of it. Um, and sometimes we're, we're asked to convey these stories to their kids and grandkids. They'll say, can you text my, my daughter? I saw an elephant today. It was fun. Um, and so we'll do things like that. And so that's in general what the experience looks like. And our, our students really love doing it. So, yeah. That is so cool. I, I love this idea and um, hope to be involved with it in the future. For those who are interested in learning more or how they can get more involved or try out VR for themselves, how how do they uh, get in touch with you all or go about um, finding someone that does VR as well? Yeah, happy to provide that. Um, so in general, you can visit our site, careyaya.org, um, so careyaya.org. Um, if you specifically want to learn more about the VR or request to try the VR yourself, you can message support at careyaya.org. And this is largely for um, memory care facilities, assisted living facilities, other um, other places where groups of people come because we largely do these um we largely do these events uh, with, with groups of people. We are beginning to do this just in one-on-one settings. Um, and so with that, if you are an employer who is looking to expand your benefits package to help support your family caring for their aging parents, um, reach out to us and you can be some of the first to actually try this VR therapy just in our typical one-on-one caregiving settings. And again, that's support at carryaya.org. Excellent. And the full website again, careyaya.org, careyaya.org. She is Leah Warnke. And Leah, we know that you're uh, walking across the big stage tomorrow to graduate. So we want to congratulate you there. And thank you so much for joining us today uh, and sharing your expertise on this just really cool and exciting world of VR. Thank you so much. It was wonderful to speak with you. Thank you as well. We're going to take a quick break, but we've got some more for you. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. 60 minutes devoted to giving you all the information you need when caring for a loved one with Mary Lucas and Jason Kong. If you have questions for the show, you can email agingmatters at transitionslifecare.org. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. I'm Jason Kong here with... Mary Lucas. Hey, don't forget, if you want to find more information about Transitions Life Care, you can go online to transitionslifecare.org, transitionslifecare.org. Mary, we're going to shift gears here a little bit and broach a topic that I I think everyone is pretty much familiar with and we all probably have a, a healthy fear of, but it's always good to address it. And so we're going to spend some time here talking about diabetes. And we are very pleased to welcome 
on to the show, Missy Jernigan. She is a certified diabetes educator with the WakeMed Diabetes Management Program. Missy, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you, guys. I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you for joining us, Missy. I think that this is um, sometimes can be a confusing topic, especially for the aging population. I think many people think about diabetes as a childhood disease or something you find very early in life. And um, I am starting to realize that maybe this isn't always true. Missy, can you talk to us? Is it is that really true? Can you develop diabetes later in life, or is this really something that's onset from childhood and maybe you find it later in life? Um, so maybe talk to us a little bit about that to kick us off. Sure. There are really about three main types of diabetes, and the one that you're talking about is type 1. It used to be called juvenile diabetes because it normally affects people before the age of 30. And usually, you know, we see it um, in adolescence, um, but that would be type 1. Type 2 is mostly seen in people above the age of 40. And type 2 is more than 95%, between 90 and 95% of all diabetes. Um, however, we have seen a, a big increase of the incidence of people in, um, who are much younger hmm. um, getting diabetes type 2. And then the third type that we normally see um, is diabetes in pregnancy, which sometimes is transient. It's only during pregnancy. So sometimes it can last after pregnancy, but usually once the baby's born, the diabetes dis uh, disappears. Wow. So is there anything that you can attribute to the increase that you all are seeing in the type 2 diabetes for these people over 40? Is there anything that's pointing to it? Is there research going on to, to kind of dive in there? What, what can you tell us about that? The type 2 in people over the age of 40? Mm -hmm. um, that is the majority of most diabetes. I guess m most people don't know that because juvenile diabetes tends to be... Um, advertised and talked mm -hmm. about, but the elderly population, <laughs> I dare say elderly over 40, but um, <laughs> people above 40, I know, uh, people above 40 tend to have a much higher incidence of diabetes than um, the juvenile population. Is there anything that is creating this greater risk to develop diabetes for the aging population or those over 40? Um, or are there any causes that increase that risk for developing diabetes later in life? Well, um, we tend to carry a few more pounds than um, previous generations. That's one thing. Um, the other thing is that we are living longer, so we have uh, an extended period of time to develop it. Um, Thirdly, I think some of the foods that we eat and the lack of activity that we do tend to uh, bring it on a little better or a little quicker. Mm -hmm. um, some of the medications we take tend to uh, cause it, even without any family history as well. Wow, that's interesting. So if you've, I know that there out there, you can be diagnosed with prediabetes, and that might be a term that when you're at your physician's office, it might come up and something to be worried about. What does prediabetes mean, and are there ways that you can combat that now to prevent it from becoming type 2 diabetes? That's a great question. Prediabetes is reversible, and it is the precursor to type 2, which is the older type of diabetes. 
Um, some of the main things you can do uh, is get checked often, as often as your physician will say so. Usually over the age of 40 or 45, they start checking for that. But if they do tell you you have it, you want to concentrate on diet, exercise, and, of course, of course close follow-up. That's good to know. Are there different screenings for people with diabetes, and how often do these screenings take take place, or how often should you be checking this once you've been diagnosed with diabetes? Once you've been diagnosed with diabetes, okay. Um, the A1C blood test is the most valuable one we use right now. Another good one is um, random blood sugars. So I'm going to talk about A1C first. An A1C test tells us your average blood sugar for the past three months. And um, once it gets to 6.5% or higher, you have screened positive for diabetes. Um, a blood sugar, a fasting blood sugar above 126, uh, repeatable several times, is diagnostic for type 2 diabetes as well. Mm. So what other complications that are related to diabetes are of concern in our older populations? Are there any comorbidities that would exacerbate diabetes or things that we should be concerned about? Absolutely. So we know that um, hypertension or high blood pressure uh, definitely, in combination with diabetes, tend to be um, a pretty serious thing. But some of the complications we're going to see it for uncontrolled diabetes um, tend to be blindness, uh, amputations, heart disease, kidney failure leading to, to dialysis, and even stroke. Yeah, that's some scary stuff. Missy, you know, for those who maybe aren't taking diabetes as, as seriously as they should, uh, I mean, you've gone over some complications there, but uh, on a daily basis, how does diabetes, having diabetes impact your life and what are, you know, how, how does, how does it, you know, uh, create a life for you that's uh, maybe not as convenient as it was pre-diabetes? Convenience is a good, good word to use. It's not as convenient as um, somebody who doesn't have diabetes. You do need to check your blood sugars as often as your physician asks. Uh, and the goal, of course, is to keep the blood sugars controlled because that's what leads to the complications. Um, we do now have something called a continuous glucose monitor that you can wear on your arm so that you do not have to poke your fingers three or four times a day. And it measures your blood sugar as often as every five minutes so that um, it can be reported on your smartphone or a pager-sized device called a reader. And so that you can, at any minute during the day, um, see what your blood sugar is. Some of these CGMs, or continuous glucose monitors, um, also have alarms that will let you know if your blood sugar is going too high or going too low. And I will admit, I wore one for a while just to see what it was like so I could teach better about it. And it was absolutely life-changing. How would you recognize signs of someone with low blood glucose with uh, cognitive impairment or Alzheimer's that may have other cognitive issues or make it a little bit harder to catch? And that is exactly where I would use a, a CGM. Um, with Alzheimer's, you know, there's already the cognitive issues. So sometimes 
um, you may see um, a little more confusion, different than what you normally see in an Alzheimer's patient. Uh, you may see tiredness, um, either low or high blood sugars. So I, if I had somebody that um, had Alzheimer's or another cognitive issue, I would love to get a prescription for a CGM so that the caretaker could know what was going on without having to guess. We are speaking with Missy Jernigan, and Missy is a certified diabetes educator with the WakeMed Diabetes Management Program, and we've got so many more questions related to diabetes for her, and we're looking forward to her expertise in that regard, and we hope you are too. So stick around. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back after this. You're listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk traffic. This is Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. Joined by Mary Lucas from Transitions Life Care. Here's your host, Jason Kong. Welcome back to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you. It's a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care, right here on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Jason Kong here with Mary Lucas. Our guest on the line is Missy Jernigan. And Missy is a certified diabetes educator with the Wake Med Diabetes Management Program. And surprise, we're talking all about diabetes and Mary, there's just so much we have to, to cover here in the next mm-hmm. segment. So let's get right back to it. Yes, I want to shift a little bit and talk about the caregiver perspective of um, helping someone with diabetes, your loved one with diabetes. As a caregiver, Missy, what are ways that you be, you can become more educated to help your loved one? Ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. Mm-hmm. So, of course, when you love someone, it's natural to want to help. So one of the first things you can do is make sure that you understand the medications that they're taking, how to give them, when to give them, and the side effects. That's a good. That's a very good tip. I think that for many people who have diabetes, it's it's hard um, to you know it's a very constant thing that you're paying attention to, watching. You know, you're very aware of what you're eating, your medication, um, and the management of your disease. How do you avoid, as a caregiver, being the diabetes police um, and and really driving your loved one crazy trying to also manage it as a caregiver and kind of being on top of it are there tips that you have for caregivers to avoid being this diabetes filling this diabetes police role yes I do have a couple of ideas um, you know we just want to help as the diabetes police people our caregivers um, but it can also cause strife in the relationship um, and that's not always good the one thing I would like to always ask is that we make the individual as um, self-helping as uh, as much as they can be. Um, if there's even one little thing that that person can do for themselves, teach them how to do it so that they're involved in their own care. Um, ask them if they want chicken or beef. Ask them if they'd like uh, green beans or broccoli, um, that kind of thing. So make sure that they... Um, have a role in their own care, um, know how to do as much as they know how, and then try your best not to truly be a police officer but a guide. 
That's great advice. And uh, Missy, we love what you do, but uh, as much as we love what you do, I I think we'd all like for our family members not to have to go (laughs) visit you. So what are some tips that you have for uh, those who, uh, you know, could be uh, high risk for diabetes? What lifestyle changes could we be making to make sure or at least prevent seeing you as much as possible? (laughs) Consistency. Um, try to always make sure you get enough water in as long as your physician says you're allowed to. Uh, try to limit your starchy foods. Now, a lot of people think sugar is the only thing that causes high blood sugars, but it's any kind of starchy food, such as bread, potatoes, rice, pasta, and believe it or not, even fruit. So a lot of people think because it's a natural sugar that it doesn't cause your blood sugars to go up. Uh, make sure that you're eating fresh foods fresh foods instead of canned, and the second best would be frozen after fresh. Gotcha. That's good advice. And, you know, little changes like that can really go a long way. Mm-hmm. You know, something that I've heard in talking with patients before, or my grandmother even mentioned it, um, it back in the day, but um, shoes are so important for um, those with diabetes. I think that maybe diabetes patients might be more likely to have infections from, um, and feet, I know, Missy, you mentioned it earlier in the show, are something that's um, it's very important to keep an eye on as a caregiver for those with diabetes. Can you talk to us a little bit about the daily grooming, why it's so important for someone with diabetes to, or a caregiver to kind of have a close eye on these things and um, and diabetic shoes, those are a thing, aren't they? They really are. And you don't want to necessarily pick out your own shoes when you have diabetes, especially if you've had diabetes for at least 10 to 15 years, because some of the sensation on your feet do decrease if your blood sugars haven't been really great. Mm. So you want to have somebody size the shoes for you, because if you can't feel a blister that your shoes may be too tight causing it, then you will end up with um, an ulcer or so. You don't want to walk around barefooted, even in your own house. And if a blister or a sore develops, please don't do your own surgery. That's very helpful. Yeah, that's good advice. Uh, Missy, you know, we've introduced you as the, a certified diabetes educator with the WakeMed Diabetes Management Program. Can you tell us a little bit about the WakeMed Diabetes Management Program, how that works, and who's uh, eligible to use this service? Absolutely. Um, anybody is eligible. We do have um, inpatient uh, services for the patients that come to WakeMed, um, Carrie. North and Raleigh campuses. Um, we have outpatient services that are fed through primary care physicians and also the inpatients that come to Wake Med. We have a diabetes support group as well, and this is a virtual thing. You can find it um, on the Wake Med web or Wake Med site um, or call 919 350 2198. It happens on Wednesdays, the first Wednesday of each month from 6 to 8 p.m. And are these classes virtual or are they in person or do you have a hybrid option for folks? We have both right now. We have virtual and we have uh, in person. 
This is such a great resource. I've learned so much today, and we really appreciate Missy. I've, I'm, I'm literally looking at my water bottle right now. I need to prevent this in the future. I've also um, took the dogs for a walk this morning, so I, I need to get a get a little bit ahead of this. Um, watching my food intake, the Italian food has been uh, heavy lately, um, so I need to just be a little bit careful. I think, especially with. Um, COVID, we've seen, you know, people have gotten a little bit loose on maybe their eating habits. And um, I'm I'm sure that we all should be a little more uh, aware of what we're doing to prevent uh, type 2 diabetes in the future. Yeah, Missy, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. If you want to learn more about the WakeMed Diabetes Education Team and the, edu- the WakeMed Diabetes Management Program, you can uh, Google that and it comes up pretty quick. WakeMed Diabetes Management Program, that'll be the top result for you there. And the phone number that Missy gave out earlier is 919-350-2100. Nine eight nine one nine three five zero two one nine eight. Missy Jernigan, she's a certified diabetes educator with the WakeMed Diabetes Management Program. Missy, thank you so much for your time and for your expertise today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Missy, we appreciate your time as well. Don't forget, if you want to learn more about Transitions Life Care, head on over to transitionslifecare.org. Transitions Life Care. We're out of time for today. On behalf of Mary Lucas, I'm Jason Kong. Thanking you so much for joining us here on Aging Matters. Care and comfort that surrounds you, a service of Transitions Life Care. It's your life, your care on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF News Talk Traffic. Have a great day. You've been listening to Aging Matters, care and comfort that surrounds you on FM 98.5 AM 680 WPTF. For more information, log on to transitionslifecare.org.